Hello and welcome to Sir Thriver Unleashed. I'm Reno Romano, your host and a Sir Thriver and advocate for survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual assault. This show is all about the endless positive possibilities of Sir Thriving after sexual abuse. So let's get started with today's program. Welcome to today's show, Sir Thriver Unleashed. This is a drama-free zone where we explore how to survive after sexual abuse. And we also share and celebrate our successes and to show others the endless positive possibilities of life after trauma. Today's episode is a little different. I usually do one-on-one interviews, and today I have two Fantastic women with me. So our first guest today is Suzanne Izaza. She's an educator on the topic of incest and sexual violence since 2014. She is the founder of the Sexual Assault Advocacy Network and the creator of incestaware.org, a survivor of incest. My next guest is Dr. Vanessa Guyton, and she is the founder and executive director of Hush No More, and I want to hear more about that. She provides community training and supports survivors uh, of the Hush topics. She is a survivor of military sexual trauma, and thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yes. I'm, I'm excited to have you both. And what we're, we're, I, as I said, we're doing something a little bit different today. Usually I do a one-on-one interview. I interviewed Suzanne oh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about how we are, are training survivors and getting the word out and doing more. And she and I came up with this idea to have a panel discussion on intimacy and sex after trauma. And she told me about Dr. Vanessa. She's given me permission to call her Dr. Vanessa. Thank you. I think that's important. And so we were talking about that. We decided to have this three-way conversation. So welcome, Dr. Vanessa, too. We love having you here. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Yes. Yes. All right. Oh. You know, I think it's important for survivors to know, and Suzanne, you talked about this, uh, that to let them know that their intimacy issues are not unique. They're not alone. And that a successful sexual life, whether it's alone or with a partner, is possible. So I'm going to start with Suzanne. And... I'm going to ask the question and then Dr. Vanessa, you know, you can give your answer to it too. And I just want us to have a conversation, but Suzanne, how was your sexual abuse experience? How has it affected your comfort zone with intimacy later in life? As you said, you're a survivor of incest. Would you share that with us? Sure, Rena. And first of all, just thank you for having this discussion. I think this is an area of sexual abuse and trauma that our movement is not really talking much about. And it's something I've become really interested in because, of course, it's affected my life um, greatly. So I'm a father-daughter incest um, survivor. 
And I have found that the sexual abuse that I dealt with as a kid has affected every area of my life. I mean, in, in a whole host of ways beyond with intimacy and, and my sex life. Um, but I found that particularly with intimacy, I found that there was not a lot of support for me early on in my life for being able to talk about sex um, and think about sex in a healthy way. And when I found myself as an adult, even after I entered into therapy, it was like this topic that wasn't broached, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd be talking about my trauma and, you know, my history and my struggles, but somehow the issue of sex and intimacy was like the side issue that wasn't tapped into. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it, that really impacted my ability to have close intimate relationships with people. Um, because I felt like it was off the table. It was just a, like a topic we are not going to talk about. And of course, like when you're raised in a sexually abusive home, your whole experience with sexuality is negative. There's fear. I felt just disgust and shame. And I had all of these feelings in my body as a youngster that I had no idea how to interpret them, what to do with them. And so growing up and then getting into adult sexual relationships. I mean, I had this whole negative um, perspective of what sexuality is and how I should relate in the bedroom with somebody. And so it has definitely had a negative uh, impact on me um, as an adult. Yeah. And I, I understand that. Um, I've always been a hugger and some people relate hugging to intimacy and it can be a little bit. And, but that's why I wanted to have, the talk of intimacy and sex after trauma, because I think they're both can be a, a bit different, but when we can intertwine them, Dr. Vanessa, you know, you are a survivor of military assault, sexual assault. Can you share how your experience maybe um, affected your comfort zone with in intimacy after that? So I always talk about my life in extreme. So I've never had a middle. It's either not at all or <laughs> so with intimacy, I either didn't want you to touch me at all. It was if I had to do anything sexual, it was because I felt like I was obligated to do so. Ooh. Obligated. Like I, I didn't want to do it for me. I did it because you wanted me to. It wasn't <laughs> my idea at all. And we feel like we have to in relationships that if a man desires us, we're supposed to have sex, whether we want to or not. And then they complain and we have to understand and we think we have to have this intimacy love in order for to keep for us to keep the man, essentially. Or they want to cheat on us or leave. And that happens a lot to survivors. So yep. either I didn't want to do it at all, I was forced to do it, or it was excessive. There was no control. Mm. So I had guys tell me, you act like a dude. You just don't have any attachment <laughs> at all. So I totally separated intimacy and sex. They did not go together for a long time for me because I wasn't trying to get close to you. I just wanted to go through the motion or I just had this need or I wanted to control you. And controlling you did not include with me opening up my heart and letting you close to me. So it's fear. You're fearful of falling in love or really liking this person and then they hurt you. They violate your trust. So you protect yourself. And to me, protection is protecting my intimacy as well. So mm. I can have sex with you and no type of hugging, kissing, any of that occurs. It's just the act. So that's me. 
And I so understand that I, I survivors will understand exactly what the three of us are saying. I, um, proceed, you know, after all my trauma, I didn't realize, but I was really in, in stuck in sexual addiction and intimacy. You, you, I get it. You just don't want any part of intimacy because being intimate means being vulnerable. And we are trying to control something because we were so out of control on what happened to us. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I wanted to control it. But intimacy and sex, we can put them together. It, it can be difficult after all the trauma we've, we've gone through. And I know Dr. Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability and that to me is uh, being very intimate. What in your experience, let's go back to Suzanne. What in your experience, um, what dynamics did the abuse create that made it, you know, hard in your sexuality or your intimacy? What did you experience that kept you from being vulnerable with an intimate partner? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in my case as a kid, I dissociated a lot from the abuse, you know, and, and some people do that. And some people have the PTSD response where you, you just can't get it out of your head. For I say fortunately, because for me, I think it helped me to survive. I would just yeah. sort of zone out. And that has been a really harmful um, dynamic for me or practice for me because it was so habitual as a kid that as I got older and I started having sex, it was like I would just fade out. Like my go-to was just fading out um, and just disconnecting from the experience. Even if I really liked my partner and felt connected, I still would feel that temptation to kind of get away from the physical or the emotional feelings. Um, because I'm a father-daughter incest survivor too, my, my relationship with my father is supposed to be one of being protected, but instead it was exploited. So... I grew up thinking like sex is something that is taken from you. And this, this is very similar to what Vanessa was saying, where, you know, I had this perception that my partner just, just wanted sex for me. That was it. As long as I provided that, then we were good. We were fine. And that doesn't mean that I didn't want to have sex. Like, I think that's a really important thing to know about survivors is that even if we feel like it's being taken from us or we have to give it up in order to get security or love back. That doesn't mean that we don't have sexual desire. And so that is a very confusing, um, I think, dynamic and one that I've struggled with because on the one hand, you know, everybody has needs. I had my needs. I mean, I, I was really sexually active as a kid. Um, I was not, a, I wouldn't call myself a sex addict, but I was definitely in way too many just casual relationships. And now I look back on and I say, that was not sex drive, right? That was seeking something else, seeking love mm. and affection and attention, you know, the things I didn't have as a kid. Um, and so that's really sort of followed me. I found that now I'm in my, my 40s, or reveal my age here, but now that I'm in my 40s and I've had a long time to sort through this stuff and be with a partner who is very supportive and is very, is a good listener and is willing to work with me to make our sex life comfortable and pleasurable for me. Um, now I'm able to sort through those things a lot easier and they don't affect me as deeply as when I was younger. 
And I think, you know, Suzanne and Dr. Vanessa, after we've gone through trauma therapy, we've gone through counseling, um, you know, I thought I was healed and, but I still had trust issues. I had trust issues with men. I had trust issues with intimacy. Um, can you relate to that, Dr. Vanessa, especially with your military assault? Did you have trust issues after your experience? I did. So mine was a date rape. So he yeah. was a advisor, a friend, a mentor who mentored me on how to get promoted, poured into me all the time. And I trusted him. So I have a hard time around a lot of men. I won't be in a, a room with just a lot of men. That's a no-go for me. <laughs> I right. won't be in a closed-in area with a man. I need to meet you in a public place. I can't, I, I don't see how I can trust you. It's really something that I have to build. And if you can't trust somebody, you really can't be intimate with them because you don't have a wall of your guard now. You have this wall up. You know, you have this wall up as an individual wall that you don't let anyone penetrate because you want to make sure that you trust them. And what was funny for me in therapy, my therapist said, well, trust is when you don't trust yourself. Do you not trust yourself to make the right decisions? And I was like, hmm, no. <laughs> like, and so I had to start working on myself and my picker, making sure that I'm picking the right guy. But how can you tell if it's the right guy? So it's a trust issue and you have to get to that point when you can let the wall down. And I think it's a personal decision when you do. And it's also a personal decision when you let them know that it's really not them, it's you. And owning that and trying to work through that. But I feel like if they really like you, they're having feelings for you and you're special enough, they'll stick around and try to work through this with you. Absolutely. You know, and I, I have a program called Sir Thriving After Sexual Abuse. And one of the um, stages in that is called Trauma to Trust, uh, from trauma to trust. And it's all about setting those boundaries. And we, like you said earlier, that you are the man, we are submissive, we've been taught to be submissive. And whenever you want sex, you can have it. And we need to learn to set those boundaries that we don't have to have sex when we don't want it. And we have to learn to trust ourselves first and trust what we can put ourselves into in those situations and those positions. And I love what you said. But, uh, you had, you had a broken picker. <laughs> yeah. 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 I understand that. Do you, do you, do you, um, agree with that, Suzanne? Broken pickers. We picked the wrong people. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to take that term. <laughs> go for it. Yeah, go for I it. Do. I do. I mean, fortunately, I think I made better choices. Um, when I look back, I had every reason to make really horrendous choices, but um, I had a strong relationship with my uh, my siblings and from a big family. I had five brothers and sisters. And so there was always that influence, I think, and it kept me from going down a, a really horrible path. But I definitely, I will say that I chose, there was a theme, you know, as, as I was preparing for the show, you know, really reflecting back on some of these questions. And there was a theme for me that I seemed to choose um, partners who just, just wanted to have a sexual experience and didn't want to have the intimacy, right? It wasn't that they were averse to it, but I think it was more comfortable. And it's kind of not surprising because so many people grow up now with porn. Porn becomes their introduction. Yeah. 
to sexuality. And so with porn, there's no physical, you know, touch, there's no body, it's just a screen, right? Or whatever right. you look at. And so um, I think I, I chose men that didn't require me to get beyond the checking out, right? And so as I started noticing that, um, that I, I started questioning myself, like, why am I, why am I checking out? Why are they allowing me to? Right. And so with my current partner now, we talk about that a lot. He says he, like, if he notices me checking out, he'll say, wait a minute, what is going on here? He, he stops and he's like, this isn't acceptable. So he sets sort of the tone that, that intimacy has to be present when we have sex, right? Or it's not a sexual experience. And I did not grow up in my early relationships practicing that at all. I mean, I just thought as long as, like Vanessa was saying, going through the motions, we're right. good. We're, we're good. Um, but intimacy is way beyond that. I think it's trust. I think it's being able to share the real you. You know, I mean, I, I kept a lot of the inner struggles and some of the panic and some of the things that I was feeling from my partner. I didn't tell them that because I thought like, first of all, they wouldn't be able to handle it. And second of all, I didn't want them to leave to think that I was a mess. Right. So I just kind of kept it all inside. But if you have that type of relationship where you can't hide it, you can't keep it all inside. That's a good place to be. And uh, most of my relationships were not like that. No. And I so get that when I know when I met my husband, I knew that I had to tell him that I was a survivor of incest and sexual assault and that there were some things that came along with that because I had PTSD. And and even when I met him, I had intimacy issues. I had trust issues. And this was almost 25 years ago. You know, I was still in the healing process. So I was still learning boundaries and trust. I think we need to learn to trust ourselves first. And Dr. Vanessa, you had talked about trust and boundaries. How are you now in your comfort zone with your trust and trusting yourself? You, you say you don't want to put yourself in a room with all men. You, you, you've set those boundaries. Um, do you still have problems with that or you know what your boundaries are now? I know my boundaries, but I create new ones all the time. When something makes me feel okay. uncomfortable, this is a new boundary. Because Listen I, to I, your I, intuition, right? Yeah. I, have to put, I, sh- I should never feel uncomfortable and I never should have to be put in a position that makes me feel queasy. So that becomes a new boundary that you don't know that you need. So I think it's a continuous, sometimes you could let, you could change some of your boundaries, increase them, decrease them, continue them. But it's something that is your choice and nobody should make you feel bad about a boundary. So if I want to meet in a public place and you don't, then you're just not the one for me because I am going to meet you in a public place. And and that's the end of it. Good for you. It's my choice. Yeah. My rights. And maybe one day I'll meet you. In a, at your home, but I'm not going to another man's home first thing. And, and I look at it as wisdom. I don't even know if it's a trust issue anymore. It's more of being wise and just putting myself in better positions and situations and being aware, being aware of people and getting to know people first. And sometimes we might not always get it right, but I think I get it right most of the time. And sometimes it's not even about intimacy. They're just a jerk. So we. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's not going to meet the right man. It has nothing to do with intimacy. He just was not the one. Exactly. And it's amazing to me that there are other women that feels like I do about intimacy and sex because I truly thought it was just me. That's why this is so important. I felt so alone. Like there are women that have these healthy, perfect relationships with their husbands and their boyfriends, not realizing some of them are unhappy, but they wear a mask. So I thought it was just me struggling with this. And I feel like I'm normal now. It's a normal response to go through this and be able to have a difficult time with it. Well, I like that you brought up this is normal. So what's normal? What's what's normal for you is not normal for me or Suzanne and all three of us have different boundaries. We have different um, uh, trusts issue, you know, levels. And that's okay. And I love that we're talking about our gut and listening to our intuition because that is part of intimacy with ourself. That we are allowing ourselves to, to understand that intuition because before, and you know it, all, all three of us and, and those listening, we had an, an, a feeling that something wasn't right. But we pushed it aside because we didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And right. And so we took their feelings into account instead of ours. And I think it's very important for us to learn how to be intimate with ourselves first and foremost. And that is listening to our gut, listening to our if if I if you're in a room and you don't feel comfortable, that's you know, I'm not going to allow myself to do this again and I'm going to find a way out of it. So what do you think of that, Suzanne? You know, I think intimacy starts with yourself, you know, finding your own boundaries, what Dr. Vanessa says, and they change from all the time. Yes, yes, they do. And if I could, I just want to make a quick point before Go I ahead. do that. As I, you know, I'm here and I'm absorbing the conversation that if there are you know, men watching this, if there are members of the LGBTQ you know, community who are watching this gay and trans people, all experiences are different. You know, we're fortunate, you know, to have this conversation here, but there's a whole lot of other people who are not cisgender and who are gay and trans and have, or, or males and have all different experiences, maybe the complete opposite experiences that we're talking about. So this is like a, like a little select pie. So maybe there's a round two <laughs> that, you know, that, that we could tack on to this to, to hear from other people who have other dynamics. But, um, but yes, I definitely think, you know, the setting of the boundaries, little boundaries, really, really important for feeling safe. I will say, though, that I have learned to really challenge myself. So let me back up. So as I got older and started being in more long term, you know, committed relationships, I was just kind of surviving through the sexuality piece. And I was just trying to feel good and feel safe and feel normal. Right. Now I'm at the point where I'm trying to push myself beyond that because safe and normal sometimes for me is not actually ideal. Mm. Um, But I think it was important for me when I was younger, I had to start feeling safe before I could move any further in, in my relationships and making progress on this. So, so now I'm, I'm kind of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone to say like, okay, you know, I know I don't like being in this anxious space of saying, I don't like it when you do that. You know, this is what I want. 
this is what I don't want, right? So these are like all outside my comfort zone. Even just saying it now is like, ooh. <laughs> but I'm pushing myself to do that. And I don't necessarily feel safe doing that. But I realize to have better intimacy, that's where I have to go. That is my journey. That's where I need to be. But it can never be something that's pressed on me. And I think that is the difference is that we have to have the control to take these emotional and physical steps. If we don't have that, if somebody's pushing this on us, that can just replicate the whole abuse experience, like, like what I dealt with growing up. And I think for many of us, we grow up and we choose these situations, which is like a repeat of what our trauma was um, in the past. And so healing and, and getting um, more comfortable with intimacy and sex is not going to happen if you're repeating the dynamic of your abuse. And so there's a lot of things that can kind of get in the way. But I do feel like, you know, for me now, really exploring how can I get outside that comfort zone? How can I make some changes to make the relationship with my partner better and stronger? And also so that he can feel more comfortable because there's that other piece is the partner and the partner is really important. Um, and I imagine we're going to talk about that later because I have a lot of thoughts on that, but, um, but I'll just, I'll just stop there and say that yes, trusting safety, um, really important place to be. Yeah. Trust and, and safety is very important. And because, you know, for us, well, all three of us, we were in a, uh, a situation where we were supposed to be safe, where, where we thought we would be safe. And when the abuse started, I remember looking up to, to my brother in his eyes, like, why are you doing this? This doesn't feel right. But I trusted him because he made me feel safe up to that grooming part. So partners are very important. And I think you know, being a four-year-old child, you don't know what sex is. I had no language for it, right? But I think after we've gone through these experiences, like I said, we need to listen to our intuition, our gut, and what feels safe for us and what doesn't, and not apologize. Dr. Vanessa, like you said earlier, if I'm somewhere and I don't feel comfortable, I don't think that we have to explain in detail why I don't feel comfortable. I just, I want to say no and no, excuse me, I need to leave. And I don't think that we have to give a full on explanation. I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Dr. Vanessa? If you're dating, no. But I think if you're in a committed relationship and you're trying to get to the next level, then I think it's important to explain why. This is how this makes me feel. This is why. It, it has nothing to do with you, but can we try something else? Can Absolutely. Instead, because we need to have that communication. A part of us, we shut it down and we don't express it. So healthy relationships includes healthy communication. Here's a good point too, Dr. Vanessa and Suzanne. If that person is unable to have that conversation with us, then they aren't the right person. And it's good to find that out up front. If we're, if we're starting to date or to thinking about marrying this person, if they're not comfortable, if they don't want to have these conversations, well, don't be afraid. Uh, this is for the survivor. Don't be afraid to say, Hey, this person may not be the right person. If they've got a problem with uh, talking about intimacy and they don't care about our feelings, I mean, you want to get out of there. 
I've had guys that once I came out and started talking about my MST, they said, you never told me. Why didn't you say anything? Well, one, because I didn't want to. But I wonder if things would have been different if I would have had the conversation. Mm. I think sometimes our fear makes us think that all men are the same. All people are the same in relationships. And I didn't give a lot of guys a chance. And so I have had some that came back and said, you didn't say anything. And I was like, well, it's my mm. choice. I didn't have to. But it was something that I needed to start thinking about. If I really want to get serious, at what point do I start sharing this information and having a healthy relationship and healthy conversation? That's a good point. And I don't think we should feel bad. Should I have said it up front? Should I have said it later? Should I have said it at all? I, I That going back to trust and, you know, creating your boundaries. And that's something that we need to do for ourselves to find that right person. Suzanne, yeah, I do want to talk about partners because, you know, you talk about your partner and being with a partner. You've been with other people, though. You may you have triggers, disassociation. What do you do now with your partner and you find yourself disassociation, disassociating in the moment? Because it happens to me. And I remember doing it when I was being sexually abused. What do you do now to uh, help you get through that? You know what? I, I figured it out in the beginning. So right, right when I know we're, you know, we're going to have sex, we're going to be intimate. Like I can tell based on my mood because I think dissociation for me is not something that just comes upon me like without any warning. I can, if I'm in a certain mood, if I'm in kind of an antsy, edgy kind of mood, that's the, that's one of my coping mechanisms, right? Just to fade out. So if I'm, at the beginning of the sexual experience, I'm feeling like that, then I know there's a very good chance that I'm going to start dissociating. And that's not a good place for me to be. And that's the point. And this is, this is where a lot of learning has happened with me lately that, um, to take that opportunity to say, you know what? I said yes, but now it's really no. And this goes back to the whole thing of consent, right? Is that a lot of times, you know, we're, we're in these situations. We might be having sex with somebody or be at any point, you know, in the process. And all of a sudden, this is not right for me. I don't feel good. I don't feel good about this and want to just shut it down. And sometimes your partner is like, oh, no, that's not cool. That's not possible. And sometimes they're fun. You know, there's all different types of experiences. But I found for me that at any moment, I can make that decision to say, you know what? This is just not feeling good. Um, And I'm with somebody who's like, okay who says, okay. And I've had partners who have been fine with it. And then I've had partners who have been like, you're leading me on. Right. And mm. I, I think it's like really important, at least for me, not to make a villain out of partners. Right. Because first of all, a lot of times people have, I am sh- quite sure that I've been in relationships with men because I'm heterosexual relationships with men um, who have been traumatized who have had their own sexual abuse experience. Now, knowing what I know, I look back and it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) he was a child survivor and I didn't know. And so it made sense because I would bring things up during sex or I would talk about my trauma and he would just be like, like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to know anything about this. And I thought at the time, like, he's not being supportive. He's not, you know, accepting all of me. Now I look back on it, he was trying to cope with this revelation and all of the feelings inside of him. 
it is tempting to make a villain of the other person when they don't respond perfectly. But I think we have to kind of do that diagnosis too on their side. Is this somebody who's just struggling with this issue like we are? Or is this somebody who just doesn't care? Who just doesn't care and doesn't have our best interests in heart? And if you can ask those questions, I think we can find that out. But that is a very good point because, um, you know, fortunately, I met my husband and I don't remember how much I knew we were. I knew he was going to pop the question, but I hadn't really told him my whole story. I But I knew he was going to pop it soon, ask the question. So I shared everything with him. He's sort of like, well, I kind of had an idea something was going on, but we had a really good long talk. He's been very supportive. He was supportive when I went on Oprah, when I did my TEDx talk, um, you know, when I wrote my book, having those intimate sessions with him and being intimate and sexual, he was one of the first men that I really felt safe with. So Dr. Vanessa, you're dating. Is this correct? Are you in a relationship now? Dating. <laughs> you are dating? Yeah, during COVID. That's what's crazy too. Dating. I know, right? Huh? It's like, kind of hard to date during or be intimate during COVID. So what's going on with you? So I, I am in a great place because part of me was addicted to alcohol, right? I always say my heart wasn't, but everything else was. So I would disassociate by drinking and having sex while I am intoxicated. And that allowed me to get through. So I have been sober for two years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yay me. I'm celebrating me. I have been sober for two years. And so sex and alcohol no longer goes together. So that helps me make better choices. I can trust myself because I'm not drunk. So that all has really freed me to be in healthy relationships. And because of what I do, I am very open. I am a military sexual trauma survivor. There's some junk that come up with that. Are you ready? And I just say it straight up because they probably find it when they Google me. It's no secret, right? Right. And I feel so much better when I could talk about it up front. And then I could get cues if this is the guy for me, if he's having problems, if this is just not going to work. I could talk about it in the beginning and not have to hurt from years, you know, years down the line. And I'm excited about finding the right person for me. From a healthy perspective, because I'm looking at relationships totally different now. I don't think that everybody is out to hurt me. You know, I don't think that you're going to rape me, that I'm going to lose control. I have decided that people are people and give everybody a chance. You got a clean slate. Now, I do pay attention. If you do something, you don't last long, really. If you do, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm in a healthy place and having sex without alcohol or any type of drugs really is different. And you can focus on the moment and not pull away. So that has been my goal is to focus on the moment. And I so get that because I used to drown myself with alcohol. I still have cocktails once in a while, but I used to drown myself with alcohol to get through a sexual um, moment before my husband. But um, so you, you, uh, if you're dating and I know be this past year with COVID has been very hard for, for singles to date, but have you, I have friends who are meeting partners 
uh, through internet sites and they're talking online, um, you know, and they're talking intimate. To me, that would be so much easier to be intimate online than physically. So online dating has been something I have tried and I just don't feel the intimacy. I feel like it's a screen and you may be faking. I need eye contact. I need to know that this is real. It doesn't work for me. Right. It does. But I am a touch person. I am a hugger when I'm comfortable with you. And I need to be able to see if we're compatible just as a friend. Because friendships to me is what starts a real good relationship. And so I have done the online dating. And I don't look at the intimacy part. It's more about just getting to know you, what type of person you are, what type of goals you have. Are our goals aligned in any type of way? And then I'm looking forward to meeting you. Right. And I know, you know, in the past when I was single, I'd jump right into bed with somebody and then try to build that relationship. So I think it's good to try to, hey, are we compatible? Can we be friends too before we even have that sex? Suzanne, what... So you have a partner too. So what can a partner do to help a survivor that is having intimacy problems? What do you think are some good steps or some good conversation starters to have? To have with the partner or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, um, I'm with my, my partner's my husband. We met three and a half years ago online. And so I was sort of like chuckling to myself <laughs> online <laughs> yeah, dating because I was on those apps and dealing with that and dealing with all the, the, the fear and the insecurity. And that's got to be a whole new, <laughs> sh- yeah, that's a whole nother show, right? Yeah, <laughs> online and dating. And I know people, I have friends who have been assaulted, um, through, dating apps and meeting people and, and really having bad experiences. But so our relationship is actually pretty new because we're newlyweds. This is the second marriage for me. You know, since I've started doing this work more and I've been more public, we've actually had a lot of conversations about this topic and relating it to my experience, but also relating it to the way that I talk to people about it. I'm actually getting more skilled with the language. And a lot of that is something I think you grow with over time. Because sometimes like I have, when I was younger, I'd have a feeling I have no idea how to express it. All I know is that I was feeling like afraid or I was feeling anxious, but I had no idea what it was connected to. So it's hard to really say anything beyond I'm just feeling awful, right? But now my language has been able to develop where I can pinpoint it now better and so then the solution is easier to find so um with with my husband you know he i would i would tell partners first of all to listen without judgment try to listen without judgment and if you go on social media today you do not see people listening without judgment oh it's right there you know assumptions and trying to talk over one another and all of that and i think that happens a lot in intimate relationships too where we're afraid of what the person's going to say or we don't like what they have to say and so there's judgment and once i start feeling judged i feel shut down yep I, i don't i don't trust you enough to tell you any more than i've already told you and so I, that was like my first thing that I would say to a partner is say, I'm listening to you. I'm not judging you. I really want to know what's going on and just stop and listen. And it's hard to stop and listen because we want to jump in there and get, you know, yeah. And especially men. Really listen. And yeah. I'm jumping in over you because Go ahead. 
But yeah, I've, I've told my husband, I'm like, I don't need you to fix this. I, because men are fixers. They want to fix us. I am like, I don't need you to fix me. I need for you to listen. I, and I'm, and I don't really even need for you to give me any advice. I just need for you to listen and let me, and then, then we can have that conversation. Dr. Vanessa, so you are dating. I know we're in the life of COVID right now. It's difficult to be intimate with people, but you said that you are, when you get to know people, you're telling them more up front than waiting to see if you're going to have a relationship, your exp- sexual assault experience. Tell me a little bit about that and how would you share with other survivors how to share their story with a new partner? So I think it's important that you are healthy when you start sharing your story. You can't share it from a broken place because then that person might feel sorry for you or empathetic. You you start feeling that they might start crying with you. So you really want to do it from a very healthy place. That's number one. Once you're healthy, you tell them, this is me. And I just want to be transparent. I just want to let you know, this is who I am. And I also want to let you know, how do you treat me? How do you make me feel good? People don't know how to treat you. They don't know how to make you feel good. We have to tell them that. So I will say, if I'm having a bad moment, I will tell you this. And I might come up with a code word. We can come up with a code word if we need to stop. We need to, maybe I need to say, can we take a break and re-engage? Or can we just lay here for a moment? But I must tell them how I feel and what makes me feel good and what makes me feel safe. And then I have a partner that is trying to do that for me. So that's number one. You have to know yourself. You have to know what makes you feel good. What makes you feel kind of queasy? You know, if... You were choked during your assault. You have to let your partner know choking is not for me. That is a no-go. That is a boundary. And be open about it. And that's how you have a real healthy relationship, healthy conversation. And I always tell partners, say, how can I help you? What do you need from me? If my partner tells me that, I'm like, yes, (laughs) this is what I need from you. This is what you could do for me. I might not need nothing, but ask me. Ask me and I could tell you, this is what makes me feel good. This is a position that is okay with me. If you were assaulted in a certain position, you may not want to go into that position again. Let your partner know that. And so I am very forthcoming. This has not been an overnight thing either. My assault happened in 1995. So this mm-hmm. is years and I am still healing. You're never truly healed. We just learn different ways to deal with it. And it starts with communication and just telling them that, you know, maybe. I need to just lay here in your arms, listen to your heartbeat. You know, let me put my hand on your chest and relax. And then we can start up again. Right. But you can't just really say no, because they do have needs too. So how can I come to an agreement where we're both happy, where we're both safe and we both feel good? Because at the end of the day, you want your partner to feel good too. Yeah, we can't make it all about us because they have needs too. And we need to be open to what their needs are and if we're able to meet them. And I I agree with that. My husband and I have been married almost 25 together, 25 years. And we've been to marriage counseling for communication problems, you know. And I went through counseling 30 years ago for my trauma, my incest and sexual assault. But I realized that just going through counseling, 
I wasn't one and done. And you brought it up. We're still healing. We will always heal. And maybe I have this uh, PTSD from the sexual assault. Maybe it's from something else. We need to trust our bodies, what, what it's telling us, if we're comfortable. Trust is a big, big thing. Suzanne, I want to go back to you for a minute. Like I said that um, my husband and I have been to marriage counseling. We've never gone through sex or intimacy therapy or anything like that. I don't see a problem with it. Would you suggest um, that for couples who may be experiencing it? And I'll talk to you in a minute, Dr. Vanessa, on that too. You know, I'm so glad you're asking me this because I, I had, you know, it's interesting when you, when I, when I knew this was coming up, it got me thinking about a lot. And so I talked with my partner a lot about different things. And one of the things we talked about is because occasionally we'll have some couples therapy with a therapist of mine, a personal therapist. And we sort of bring um, my husband in on it when we need to. Um, and we were talking about this the other day and both of us sort of looked at each other and said, how would you even find a therapist like that? How do you find a therapist who is experienced with trauma? Because not all therapists are good on, on trauma, sexual trauma, domestic violence. You know, some are not, that's not their thing. And I've been to some uh, like that in my earlier years. I spotted it right away. It's like this person just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get it, doesn't get the, um, um, the, the, the trauma that I've been through. And so, um, you have to find somebody who's experienced with that trauma informed, comfortable. Okay. This is, this is, if this is a challenge for us to be on this call talking about this, it's a challenge for everyone else. And then you're not only talking about improving somebody's sexual dynamic, right? Or intimacy, but now you have to weave in the sexual assault piece. And so, and sometimes therapists have their own sexual trauma that they have inside. So I think it's hard to find somebody, but I think the bottom line is that I think if any of us have been through trauma, I think therapy to deal with our own stuff first is huge. I don't think a survivor can expect to show up for the first time ever in therapy with a partner to work through sexual issues and that it's all going to be set. Because I think the, the, we have to delve into our own issues, understand ourselves, understand what we need to do to show up in this relationship and be in a good place and be in a healthy place. Like Vanessa was saying, we got to figure that out, which isn't, I don't think it's hopeless, but I think we'll get maximum benefit if we're in therapy ourselves. And then once we have a really good, solid understanding um, in ourselves, then bring the partner into it because then the communication I think around this issue will be easier. That's a good point. Very, very good. We need to work on ourselves first. And that's what I tell survivors, get help, get healed, get happy, because it is possible. And But we can't get with a partner and expect them to fix us or to go into it if we haven't done any healing prior to being in these relationships. Because we need, we need to get through that for ourselves. And I keep bringing this up. We need to learn to be intimate with ourselves, whether it's having sex with yourself or, you know, just knowing what you're comfortable with, with yourself and having that intimacy. I, I think it's so important. Dr. Vanessa. So tell me about how you might approach that situation. 
I am just very honest now. I have been through <laughs> so much where I've lied to so many people and have hidden. And can can I stop you right there? You've lied to people because you were afraid of them seeing the real Vanessa. Yeah. yeah. And now you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. Good for you. I am who I am and I can't change it. So that is always my approach now to just be honest. And plus, as I get older, my memory sucks. So I'm not even going to keep up. <laughs> so I just approach it by telling you the truth and partners. And I do want to say this. I was married for 21 years and the sex intimacy problem was a big problem for us. And I think I would still be married today if I would have approached it by going to counseling and being honest in my counseling sessions, being honest with him. When he asked me what is wrong, I didn't tell him mm-hmm. I didn't that part. Now that I'm divorced, we talk almost every day. Like that is my best friend and I can express it to him, but I couldn't express it to him while we were together. And so that's why I'm trying to change to be more honest and to think about counseling and that approach. And I think it's, it's working. It's really working. I am not married now, but nor am I really trying to get like, really married because I am really into my advocacy work. I'm in a happy place. I'm not looking for that. And so I'm okay with being single right now because I am truly still working on myself. I am still healing. And so my approach is me working on me, the intimacy in me, knowing what I like and do not like, setting my boundaries and just enjoying life. And when the right person come along, I should be healthier. I should be sober. And I am a great woman, great person, caring and loving. And so it's going to work itself out. And that is my outlook on it. And that's how we have to look at it. And I also forgave. That made a big difference is forgiving my rapist. So I'm not carrying all that heavy weight. And I'm like a butterfly. And and I still have bad days, but I talk myself out of them, you know, and I go to counseling. And that's probably what's going to happen for the rest of my life. And that's how I approach it. And that's okay. And I want, that's what I want the listeners to know that it's okay. We, uh, we have people who have never gone through the trauma that we've gone through. They go to therapists. They have people. They have coaches. They have therapists. They have people that they can talk to. We all need, we're social beings. We have to talk. We can't keep it all bottled up in us. And so I think it's important. You know, the strongest thing that we can do is say, I need help. And not be afraid to get help. I went through two therapists before I met the group that I got my healing from. But I'm still, you know, if I need somebody to talk to, I find someone. This is what I want people to know. It is your healing. It is your path. If you're not comfortable with a therapist or a counselor, whether you're single or you're going to couples therapy, if you're not comfortable with them, find somebody else. Because this is about your healing. It's not about the therapist, right? And if you're not comfortable with them, find somebody else. What can a partner do to help a survivor who has intimacy problems? I'll start with you, Dr. Vanessa. What can a partner do to help you or somebody with intimacy problems? One, listen to me. Two, ask what can they do for me? How can I help you? How can I be there for you? And then work with me to come up with a plan that is healthy for both of us. That's crisis for a partner. If they listen to me, ask me questions, right? 
and then just help us. We come up with a plan together and love me, be kind and gentle. Hold me if I need to be held. If I say in this moment, I need to just be held, hold me. Or if I say I need a break, allow me to take the break. You know, allow me to have the moment to myself where I need to process this. If I start crying, it's not the end of the world. Understand that I will have, I call them butterfly tears. There are times that I'm just going to cry and realize that it's not you. Sometimes partners take on the pain and make, they seem like they, they look at it as they can't please us. They can't satisfy us. They can't make us happy, but it has nothing to do with you. If you did not make me happy and please me, I would not be with you. Except the fact that this is something that I have to deal with. And I really like you. I love you. I am here with you. I just need a moment and be okay with that because it's not you. That's, that's a good point. And what Suzanne, you said earlier is to listen and don't pass judgment. And if this person can have a conversation with me, that to me starts the intimacy portion of it before we even get into sex. Conversation can be intimate. Like we've said before, I didn't tell, you didn't tell your first husband, you, you wouldn't share because you were afraid to be intimate. I think you agree with that, right? And now you're more intimate conversationally anyway with him now because you trust him and you're, you're not afraid to open up. So I think intimacy starts with a conversation that if we're not comfortable sharing with that person, yeah, sure, we can have great sex, but it's just going to be sex. We, we're talking about intimacy and sex together. So you can have one or the other. You have to know that boundary or we can learn how to put those two together. Suzanne, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I think listening, you know, without judgment is one piece, but I think there's a part B. I think that partners also have to speak up and say what they want and what they're struggling with with the relationship. And again, a lot of partners have their own sexual trauma and we might not even know it, right? So I think I think it's tempting to think of the partner as this person who's going to heal and be listening and help us through all of our bad moments. But actually, like, it's <laughs> difficult for any one of us to do that, even for our kids, right? Right? They say that about parents. Like, you know, you're always supposed to be the perfect parent. Like, who's the perfect parent? So... I, and I have asked my partner this, what do you, what is it that you want? What are you struggling with, with me? Right. But like Vanessa said, you got to be in a good place to ask that question because sometimes what you hear is not what you want to hear. And I've heard things that I don't want to hear, you know? Um, and it's not that they're bad things about me, but he struggles with my struggle. And so I want to know that. So that we can both be clear about how the other is feeling because it's not just that one-way conversation where I'm sharing and I'm educating him and letting him know what's going on with me. If I'm not open and receptive to hearing back, that's one-sided. And so you can end up getting back into this dynamic. And I, I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine about two years ago. And she said like her husband got to the point where he was terrified of having sex with her because he didn't know like what was going to happen, what he was supposed to do, what he shouldn't do. And he got to this point where he was just damaged control all the time. So mm-hmm. he was not allowed to show up to say, wait a minute, like what about me in this picture? 
Um, so I do think that partners really have to communicate that honestly. Um, I also think that, you know, approaching this from kind of a playful way is, uh, and Vanessa had this awesome conversation with these, with this young couple. Um, and I probably on our Facebook page, I'll promote that for a section, second, where they were talking about sexuality between each other. They're like in a new relationship and they're young and they're like, they're all into exploring their sexuality. And they talked a lot about play. And I listened to that conversation and I thought a lot about that because for me, sexuality has been so heavy and deep, right? And yeah. dark. But you know what? Like if we're just hanging out with our partner and we're just lying around, giving each other massages, like that's not heavy and deep. That's like warm and fuzzy and sometimes fun. So how can we interject a little bit of the fun? And so um, we've been talking a lot about that, my partner and I, like how can we sort of like make things more fun and enjoyable and, and happy-go-lucky to try to shift away from sort of just the this this really deep dark place um and for me that's actually really helpful um just to not look at sex as just sex but like what are the other parts and elements that we can draw in that are more fun for me and they actually might be fun for him too good for you uh well i've really enjoyed having this conversation and I think it's important to talk more because, yeah, we talk about trauma. We talk about getting help. But what's next, especially when it comes to intimacy and sex? I'm not a sex therapist. I'm not an intimacy expert or sex expert. I'm so glad that uh, we've had this conversation because I think it is important to have it because there's a lot of dynamics of you know, for survivors after sexual trauma. And it's not just, you know, like I said earlier, one and done, you go to counseling, you're healed. There's a lot of dynamics that come into it. And it's the physical part, the mental part, the spiritual part, you know, the, the triangle, mind, body, soul has to heal. What's good for you, Suzanne and Dr. Vanessa, isn't necessarily going to work for me. And I think that that's important for survivors to know, trust your body, trust what it's telling you. If something's not comfortable, be okay with it and just stop and set back for a minute and say, okay, what's going on here? At least you're becoming aware. And I think awareness, because we, earlier, we I think we've all disassociated when the abuse is happening. But it's okay to become aware of where we are now and to be kind and gentle with ourselves, to give ourselves some grace and space to become more intimate with ourselves and with our partners. And Dr. Vanessa, I want to thank you for showing up today. We're going to have to wrap up here in a little bit. But um, where can people find out more about Dr. Vanessa and what you do? Tell us a little bit about that. And then then I'll come back to us after Suzanne will do that too. So where can people find out more about you, Dr. Vanessa? So Hush No More website is hushnomore.org. Our number is 1-888-285-2161. If you're a survivor, an organization, please contact us. And you can go to vanessaguyton.com. Find everything about me and all the work that I do. Wonderful. And Suzanne, where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? 
So I also have a website, it's SuzanneSaza.com. Um, I have some projects that I'm involved in. One of them is incestaware.org, which is an all things incest um, website for survivors, people who love and help them, and people who want to advocate and, and build awareness. And that's incestaware.org. I'm very active with Vanessa as well with the Sexual Assault Advocacy Network. And that's at SAN Community. And SAN is S-A-A-N, SANcommunity.org. And that's for any, you know, advocate, survivor advocates that's listening to this show who wants to connect with a community of people like them. If you don't have a base and you don't have a, you know, family support for what you do, uh, Sexual Assault Advocacy Network is a great place to find that group of, of um, people to support you, train you, mentor you, and all of that. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, Dr. Vanessa, you're, you're on the staff or the board for SAN? So I had the honor of replacing Suzanne as the executive director. So I am doing a lot of work and we're doing a lot of great things, a lot of training and just supporting advocates. So it's a great safe space for you to be. Wonderful. Okay. So, you know, I, I like to end on a positive note and we all have our things when we have our down moments, we have our up moments and we are normal. We are human beings. I, I say it in every show. I have friends that have never gone through the trauma like we have, but they have confidence issues and self-esteem issues. And, you know, I thought just because being a sur- survivor of sexual assault, it was, I was alone there. And that's not the case. But when I, when you find yourself having those moments, Dr. Vanessa, when you're, Maybe your confidence or your self-esteem is struggling a little bit. What's the one thing, a positive thing that you do to help get you back on a positive track that you can share with the listeners? I give my permission, myself permission to have a bad moment. I give myself permission to have the day. It's okay. But what I don't give myself permission to do is for it to be two days. One day. I might have a moment, but it's not continuous because once we get to day two, now we're leading to depression and everything else. So I have one day. If I'm not feeling good today, this is just going to be one of those days. And I'm going to be gentle with myself. I might eat ice cream. I might watch TV. And I am okay with that. I give myself permission to just exist in that world and start over. Good for you. That's a good point. Don't make it into day two or three. Day two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll eat ice cream too if I'm having a bad day or, or a good day. <laughs> because I, I love my chocolate ice cream. But so thank you so much for being here, Suzanne. When you find yourself having those down moments, what do you do to get yourself back on track? To me, it's like a wave, you know, the wave goes out, it comes back in and it's like we're on a high and then we're on a low. We're on a high and a low. And that's that's life. So, Suzanne, what do you do when you find yourself on one of those lows to help you get back on track? I say a couple different things to myself. One is this too shall pass. Exactly what you said, Rena. It's it's. It's transitory, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be the rest of my life or the rest of my week or, you know, even tomorrow, like it's going to pass, wait it out. The other thing is, and I've been doing this more and more and I really love it is I say, I love you. I love you. 
Yeah, I actually look in the mirror and I could not do this for years. Look in the mirror at myself and say, I love you. And I find that I'm so much more compassionate with myself when I can do that. Because for me, like when I have a bad day, I'm beating myself up over the bad day. Right? That's like, why am I having a bad day? <laughs> and when I can just say, like, I get you, Suzanne. I love you. You're you're fine. It's gonna pass. It just gives it permission and then leaves the bad day leaves quicker. Right? If I fight it, you know, it's I it it'll it'll just stay around. It'll be locked in that constant battle. So yeah, yeah, the self-compassion is so important. I like that good point too, that this too shall pass because I can get into some pretty dark moments and I want people to understand that people think that I'm just happy go lucky all the time. Most of the time I am, but I have my dark days. I have my moments and, and I say to myself too, this too shall pass. Tomorrow's going to be better. If I get into a really dark place, I call a friend. Don't be afraid to call someone. And a part of that is the intimacy issue when you don't want to share. So learn to share and learn to reach out to friends, find someone that you're comfortable with sharing with. And, and I call it a event partner. If you want, um, I'll call a friend and say, I just need you to listen, please. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on. I don't need you to fix it. Just, and I'll do that with my husband, but I need to get it out, but becoming aware of where I am in the moment. And I have a program too. It's called Sir Thriving After Sexual Abuse. There's a lot of affirmations. We do affirmations. We do visualizations. I have a moving vision board that I offer to my um, clients. But I want to say thank you to both of you for being here today. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. I think it turned out perfect. It's. Um, I hope you had a good time, Dr. Vanessa. I did. I did. It was girl time. We had a great conversation. Well, we're going to have to do this again. Suzanne, thank you for I have to say this was Suzanne's idea to to maybe have this panel discussion. And like I said, with my interviews before, it's usually just been one on one and I might have to do this more often. Yeah, yeah. It's It's definitely a different conversation, but I love this too, because this is something that this is a topic I can learn so much more about and just listening to Vanessa and listening to you too, Rena, like share about your own experience. It helps me learn at the same time. So I, that's one thing I love about group conversations. You just learn so much more, but, um, yeah, I'm really appreciative that you, that you gave this topic the mic today and I'm hoping that it inspires more people to have these types of conversations because a lot of people are really struggling with this and it's breaking up relationships. And so just talking about it can be a really good first step to normalizing these struggles and helping people get on a better path. These struggles are real. They're normal. Don't beat yourself up. Give yourself permission to heal. Give yourself permission to be aware of where you are. And like I said, give yourself grace and space. It's not a race to to get there become aware of where you are in the moment and um, have gratitude for that, that you are aware that maybe something's not just right. So thank you ladies for being here today. I really had a good time. I hope you did too. Thank you.
Good, good, good. All right. Well, Sir Thriver, thank you for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed the program. And in the show notes on YouTube and on the podcast, I will have Suzanne and Dr. Vanessa's information where you can reach out to them and find more information on them, as well as myself. So I'm Rena Romano. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, Sir Thriver, I wish you peace, love, and ciao for now.